This is Joel Johnson, Senior Minister at Parkview Christian Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermons online. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me by email at joeljohnson at parkviewfinley.org. As we step back into our series about the, uh, the church and learn from the instructions from the New Testament about the kind of church that we are called to be and the way in which we are to worship together, I want to just jump right in today into a passage from the book of Ephesians chapter 4. If you have a Bible with you and you want to turn there, please do so. The words will be on the screen. Also, if you want to use the YouVersion app, you can search under events for Parkview Family and find scripture and sermon notes there in the YouVersion app as well. Today we're talking about what it is for us as a church to understand how we are equipped by the Lord as a body of believers together when we gather and also individually in our relationship with Him. And so this first passage in Ephesians talks to us specifically about the equipping that takes place when we gather together. In verse 11 we hear these words, So Christ Himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now Paul points immediately to roles of leadership, and we think about how these roles in particular have been put in place by God, specifically for the benefit of his people, the the apostles, eyewitnesses in the life of Jesus who could testify to his identity as the Son of God, Messiah, his death on the cross, his resurrection. Thereafter, they were given authority to establish the early church to be used by God in a very specific way. The prophets, historically, had been carriers of the message from God given to them by the very mouth of God in a vision or dream or audibly that they heard and, and tasked with taking this message to a specific group of people. Or to a person. Paul then points us to recognize evangelists, pastors, teachers, those who have an ongoing role in the church, an ongoing impact there as well, directly involved in the passing on of information, encouraging the church, guiding the church, caring for the church. And we think about these actions that take place with individuals and with the larger group of the church, their purpose. Each of them is to equip the church for service. Now, if you were to take a look at the individual roles of leadership, uh, at volunteer teachers who, who teach classes and lead connect groups of uh, pastors, elders, uh, those who care for the church, for evangelists who proclaim the truth of God's word, you, you could easily identify the, the roles that they play, the, the function of, of those those leadership positions. And yet, each of those functions, each of those actions is designed to fulfill a higher purpose. Each one of them contributes to the process of equipping the people of God when we gather together to worship. That means that when we come together on Sunday, we are equipped so that we can serve. That's what happens when we gather together. We receive this equipping in a a variety of different ways. When we lift our voices, praising the name of God, we open up our hearts, and prepare ourselves to serve the Lord with the right attitude and the right heart. When when we sit together and hear a message, we're learning to develop our understanding and knowledge of God's Word so we can be better prepared to serve. When we interact with one another in fellowship, we are mentored and guided and connect with other people, especially leaders in the church, we're encouraged and challenged, advised 
directed so that we can serve more effectively. All of these things support that purpose. Now, it's certainly tempting for us on a Sunday morning to come into church and focus on our own experience. We think about the style of worship and whether or not we really like the songs. We think about the, the volume. We think about what's taking place on stage, the quality of what happens, especially if you happen to have ever been a musician or a singer in your past and you come into worship and you, you watch what's happening on stage and you think about what you might do if you were standing there. And it's easy for worship to become a very self-focused exercise. When you hear a message, it's, it's tempting to evaluate instead of listen, to think about humor and content and presentation. And we all know that a message is easier to remember and apply if we've been drawn in and given a reason to listen. We're tempted to evaluate the interactions that we have with others on a Sunday morning. As we walk into the building and we are greeted and we talk with other people, we think about qualifying a church as a friendly, welcoming place or as a place that feels a little cold and awkward and unfriendly. And we know that it becomes difficult for us to feel connected and want to be invested without that sense of community. You know, when my family travels, when we are on vacation and I attend another church and visit there, I have a hard time. When I, I walk in, in the building and I'm looking and watching the greeters who greet me at the door when I get the bulletin and we walk into the, the worship space and I'm looking at lights and speakers and the setup and I watch the, the transitions that happen. I watch how the service flows. I'm, I'm listening to the, the preacher. I, I'm evaluating. I, I'm learning. I, I'm trying to find things that I can appreciate, maybe things that I can apply. And I have to very specifically turn that part of my brain off so that I can participate in worship, so that I can be a part of the church, so that I can grow and be equipped from my personal investment in worship service. And, and it's a difficult thing to choose to participate instead of evaluate. Notice that in his letter to the Ephesians, Paul did not include a customer service experience survey. He didn't ask any of the believers to give the church in Ephesus five stars and recommend it to a friend. No. He reminded them instead to think about what happens when they gather together. That they should participate with the idea that while they're together, given tools to use to serve the Lord, they're going to be trained and built up so that they can serve and contribute to the kingdom of God that they should be able to recognize that each and every gathering as a church is an opportunity for them and also for others. And part of their role as the body of Christ is to encourage and equip others to serve. We think specifically about how these words apply to leadership. And as a ministry staff, as elders of the church, as teachers in classrooms, we think about how our role isn't just a, a narrow focus. We aren't just thinking about a message, even though when I come on Sunday mornings, I'm primarily thinking about the message I have to deliver. Or Dane, when he's leading worship, about the songs that are going to be played, we have a bigger picture to think about than just the thing that we're doing, that everything that happens when we gather together is for the glory of God and to build up his church, to equip us for service, to prepare us for the active role in the kingdom, whether that's here in the walls of the church or whether that's outside of these walls in the community, especially in that case, that we're being encouraged and equipped, trained to serve together and sometimes to serve on our own. We're equipped to serve so the body of Christ can be built up so that we can grow, 
so that the body of Christ can be strengthened and so that we can be more effective all the time, doing what we do better than we did before, seeking excellence in the way that we serve the Lord. And we recognize that we're being given equipment, tools, resources to use. And when we use what we've been given, together we build unity and maturity as the body of Christ. When we commit ourselves to serving, we share a purpose. We share a vision. We share a burden of service together. And that's something that brings us into alignment. The whole process aligns us together. Where there might be difficulty, differences of opinion between people, we can set those things aside when we choose to serve alongside one another. Serving is a unifying activity. We just had our fall festival last Sunday. We invited the community to come. And we treated them to hospitality, welcoming them to get to know us, to get to know the Lord a little bit better. And we, we as a church, worked together to provide this experience for people in our community. And, and together, we were focused on setup, on providing food and activities and games and inflatables, on, on making sure everybody was safe and cared for and clean up and tear down. We had a group from University of Finley come and help us with the tear down. We all worked together, just moving from one thing to the next, taking care of all the things that needed done. And we were aligned in a way that only happens when we serve together, focused on the same purpose, focused on the same goal, serving the Lord and we find that unity together when we serve. We're also called to a unity in faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. And there's a unity that also comes as we are equipped by those who teach. As we share in a lesson together. As we hear a sermon together. We grow in our faith and understanding of Scripture. We're reading the same passage together. We're hearing an explanation of what that passage means and learning to apply it to our lives in the same way. We're growing together in our faith and growing together in our understanding. Learning the same truth, growing in unity together. And the goal for us in this process is to continue to grow. To continue to grow in unity. To continue to, to grow in maturity together. And we continue on in this process until we reach unity and maturity. Now, that's, that's a tall order. That we're going to be working on these things until we get there. Until we're united. Until we're mature. And I hate to give away the ending. I know spoilers are always bad. But, but these are two very elusive ideals. These are two very unattainable ideals that we're called to strive for all the time. And we enter into this process knowing that we are going to be continually working toward unity and maturity. As we set our sights on this example that we have in Christ and we, we strive to attain it, we work knowing that we will be working continually, always growing in these areas. The good news is that the more united we become, the more we realize how valuable that is to us individually and as a body of Christ and how much more we get to work for this incredible thing that's blessing us. As we discover maturity, we also see how much more mature we could be, and we work together to grow in these areas and see that continual blessing. Never saying, okay, I'm done, I've arrived, I don't need to work on this anymore, but together, working toward these ideals, and we understand how much more we grow when we're able to help guide and mentor other believers along the process that we've already been on. We're seeking to live up to this example of Christ. The last phrase that Paul used as we 
seek this unity and maturity is that we want to attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We want to, we want to measure up to the, the stature of Christ, the example that he's provided to us. And that's not an easy thing, especially when we see how far we are away from measuring up. I remember when I was a, a little guy, how much I wanted to grow. I'm the youngest. I have two older sisters, and we're all two years apart. So in my early years, my sisters grew much more rapidly than I did. And I, for a very long time, longer than I thought was appropriate, was the short one in the house. And it was really frustrating to me. My parents are both pretty tall. And I kept thinking, I'm, I'm going to get there someday. I hope I get there someday. But I was a little worried that I might not. There were, there were two, two very particular times that stand out in my mind of, of just wanting to do everything I could to, to grow. The first was when my grandfather would come and visit. Love my grandfather. He's a fantastic guy. But he was exceedingly tall, and he had really long legs. He worked in a factory uh, for most of his years, the factory I worked, I worked in for a summer, and I heard from the people around that they had a nickname for him. It was like, oh, yeah, low pocket, or high pockets. They called him high pockets because his legs were so long that his, the pockets on the back of his pants were higher than everybody else. And he had strides, just huge strides. And he, when he would take us for a walk when we were kids to you know, get out the energy so he wouldn't have to deal with all the rambunctious stuff, he would take us for a walk. And he and my sisters would get far ahead of me. And occasionally he'd look back and go, keep up, shorty. I love my grandpa. But that was infuriating to me. There was nothing I could do about the fact that my short little legs just couldn't keep up with their long strides. Now, some of you can understand that. But I always wanted, I was just, just desperate to catch up. The other time I remember is when I went, our family went together to Kings Island. And we would get ready to, to ride the rides. And we'd, we'd line up for the big roller coaster. And there was always a character standing at that beginning of the line with the text bubble beside their head that said, you must be this tall to ride the ride. And I remember just wanting desperately to hit my head on that, that, whatever character it was, just to hit my head on the sign so that I could go in and ride that ride instead of being pushed away to Kittyland with my dad, knowing that my sisters and my mom were enjoying all the cool roller coasters. And there were, there were times where I really wanted to just stretch it out, and then the employee would come over with the stick with the red tape on it, Mm, sorry, maybe next year. It's so frustrating to want to measure up and know that you're falling short. This is the image that we want to have when we think about the full measure of Christ. That our character would measure up to the example that Christ has given us, the character of Christ. That our, our righteousness would measure up to the example that he's given to us. That our lives together when we think about unity and maturity, would measure up to the example, to the stature of Christ, that we would find ourselves fulfilling that. And that's what we're seeking out. But Paul calls us to think about the urgency, that longing to be just, just enough, to push past those moments when we're not quite enough. And, and we think about when we come together as a church, it's a place where we're equipped to do just that, where we're given tools and resources to grow in unity maturity so that we can serve together. The church is the place where we get everything that we need to do that. My wife and I have a discussion that happens most afternoons. And it's the same kind of discussion most every day. When she says, what do you want to eat for dinner? And I say, I really don't care. What do you want to have for dinner? 
And she says, well, I guess we'll just figure out what to make, whatever you feel like making or whatever I feel like making. And so we'll go to the pantry and open up the pantry and look at all the stuff that's in there that doesn't go together. Sure, we can make a meal out of this, but uh, I don't know how it's going to taste. We open up the refrigerator. It's just packed with stuff that we might eat at a later date, but none of it enough to feed all of us, and none of it that really is going to make a great meal. And so we think about, okay, so what sounds good? If we finally get to an answer, we can, we can plan a meal, think about all the ingredients that we'll need, all the equipment that we'll need to make that meal, and we go to the grocery store. Well, she sends me to the grocery store. It's one of the joys of living close to Walmart. We can just go pick up what we want. I go to the grocery store, and I buy there all the ingredients that we'll need to make a fantastic meal. And sometimes even a kitchen utensil or a storage dish that we'll need to make sure that that meal truly is what we want it to be. And we view the, the grocery store as the place where we're equipped with everything that we need to make a meal. It has everything that we need. We just need to go and take hold of it and take it home and use it. When I have a project at home, a home improvement project, a, uh, something that needs repaired, you know, a leaky drain, what, what have you. I look at that project and I think about what it's going to take to finish it. All the, all the materials that I'm going to need. All the tools that I need to use to, to finish the project. And the joy of home improvement projects is that, generally speaking, there's always a reason to buy a new tool. <laughs> Sometimes I have a friend who has a tool I can borrow, but, but it's more fun to say, oh, you know, we really need to fix this. I'm going to have to go you know, buy, a, buy a new tool. And, and it's a wonderful thing to think about going to the hardware store and finding there everything you need to complete the job. The tools that you need, the resources that you need, the materials that you need, people there to help train you to use the tools that you're going to buy. How does this thing work? Oh, let me tell you. And they're very helpful people at the hardware store, especially if you find a retired guy that's there just, you know, working. They love to talk to you about tools and how to use them. Now you think about when we come together as a church, and we think about this place as the place that we come to, to find all of the tools that we need to find all the resources and materials that we need to, to serve in the roles that God is calling us to serve, to reach out in the community the way that God is calling us to. And we have people who are willing to help train and teach, to help guide you to, to use those tools the best way that you can. When we worship together on a Sunday morning, we should have in mind this idea that we're building one another up to serve. We're, we're working together for the kingdom, especially to reach out into the community. We're being equipped, given tools. We're encouraged, empowered, trained, and energized for the tasks and roles that God has for us to fulfill. And many of those things that we're equipped with are tools that, that stay with us for a lifetime, that we continually use for God. There are other resources that we need just for the task at hand. And sometimes we use them up and we have to get more. And so we think about this idea of coming into church and being equipped long-term with what we have, but also the idea that the, it's like driving our car around and the gauge goes to empty and we f go into the gas station and fill our tank up knowing that as we drive around that gauge is going to keep getting closer and closer to empty and we might have to coast in the next time on fumes to fill our tank up again. Sometimes we feel that way about service, about getting encouragement here at the church, getting the resources that we need to serve. When we think about being equipped with the tools that we need, it's not about being recharged and hoping to have enough to get through until the next week when we get together. It's about learning to use what we have and continue to use them and keep serving the Lord and his kingdom, giving glory to him, provided with everything that we need. And as we learn, as we practice using those tools, using those resources, we get more familiar with them. We develop a skill using them. 
There's, a, there's a, an equipping that happens when we gather together as a church, but there's also equipping that happens for us personally in our relationship with the Lord. And one of the ways that we're equipped is through the practice of spiritual disciplines. We take an active role in opening ourselves up for the Spirit of God to continue equipping us and developing our ability to use the gifts that He provides. Spiritual disciplines position us most effectively for the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. A little while ago, I think it was 2019, we did a, a sermon series on spiritual disciplines. If you want to listen to that series, learn more about spiritual disciplines, just go to our website, go to the, the sermons tab, and on that page, there's a, a list of, of sermon series on the, left, on the right-hand side, and just look down a little bit. It's called The Good Life, that sermon series. It's before we were doing video and live stream. It's just audio only, but there's great information there about what, what spiritual disciplines are, how we use them, how we practice them, and how God works in us as we do. There's seven sermons in that series. We covered Bible reading, prayer, fasting, stewardship in terms of tithing and service, simplicity, silence, solitude, being, a, being spending time with God. If you want to review those, you can, you can look them up. But I want, to, I want to highlight this morning a few passages that remind us of the work that God does in us when we submit to the, the practice of spiritual disciplines, as we position ourselves to be molded and shaped by the work of the Spirit in our lives. First is in 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning of verse 16. Paul tells us about the Word of God and, and how it works when we devote time to it. He says this, All Scripture is God-breathed. And is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. When we invest time in Scripture, we become equipped as the truth of God's Word does its work in our lives. It teaches us. It develops our understanding. It provides us with knowledge. It also rebukes us. That means it, it points out the areas of our life where we're in the wrong, where we stepped outside of God's will. And Scripture has a, a, an incredibly effective way of drawing our attention to the things in our lives that are in need of that calling out. It also corrects us. It, it helps us understand that not only have we, have we done wrong, but it provides us with the information we need to address that wrong and step back into God's will of repentance and making amends for those things that we've done wrong. It also trains us in righteousness. It teaches us that how to live a godly life, how to seek after him and do what is right continually and, and no longer keep stepping out of bounds. As we commit ourselves to the study of God's word, we discover this work that he does in us continually so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Not just equipped enough to get the job done, not, not adequately equipped, thoroughly equipped. We would have more than what we need to do the, the task that God has for us to do, that we could serve him with confidence. The word of God does that for us. And the presence of God equips us for service as well. In, in Hebrews chapter 13, uh, we read these words, beginning verse 20. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, May the God of peace equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. We're reminded that the God of peace is with us and that when we create time with him, when we carve out all of the distractions and focus on that relationship, 
that he equips us with everything good for doing his will. And works in us what is pleasing to him. That's, that's something that, that we strive for and yet struggle with. The idea of living according to God's will and pleasing him with our lives. But when we, when we dedicate ourselves to his presence, we find this peace in knowing that he is, he is supplying what we'll need to do his will. That he is working out in us the things that will please him. Not only does God's presence equip us specifically, but the Holy Spirit indwelling us equips us as well. And for all believers who have accepted Christ and been baptized in his name, uh, we've been promised the, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, a spirit that provides gifts for service and ministry. Spiritual gifts is what they're referred to. Gifts that go beyond what we already have. Gifts that we use to serve in the kingdom. Gifts that we use alongside other Christians. We look to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 for a detailed description of spiritual gifts and how they're used. And what we find is that the, the Spirit gifts each of us uniquely to serve and provides for us the, this, this gift. And our gift is often different than the gift of a person sitting next to us. But when we use those gifts together, as the body of Christ, we support one another. We work alongside one another and we accomplish things that we could never have accomplished on our own. Now think about how how this, this idea of the way the church works, all these things that we're talking about work conjunctively. Through our series, we're talking about what it, what it means for us as a church to be, to be commissioned, to be called out, to be equipped, to be active in serving, to be united in the way that we serve. Those are the, the topics we're going to be covering, but each one of them doesn't stand alone. It stands together with the rest, that as we're being equipped, we're equipped for active service, that we would find a role and dive into it. They were equipped so that we can build unity together. And we, we work as a church, not only to, to work smoothly alongside one another, but to grow genuinely connected to the people around us. That God is doing something unique among his people when we submit to him. If you're interested at all in spiritual gifts and learning more about them, we have a, a free spiritual gifts assessment on our website. Just go to the main page at the bottom. There's a little, a little uh, tab that says Life at Parkview. You click on that and you'll find the spiritual gifts assessment on that page. They'll email you back results after you answer some questions. A very insightful tool for understanding the spiritual gifts and how the Spirit is working in your life. Now, as we, as we work toward the end of the sermon, there's one last passage that specifically talks about the equipment that we as believers have at our disposal. Equipment that not only fulfills uh, specific roles in our life, but also serves to protect and defend us spiritually. It's found in Ephesians chapter 6, effectively titled, The Armor of God. Paul wrote these words. We're going to begin reading in verse 10. He says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand. Stand firm then. Oh, then you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert 
and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Now, the spiritual equipment that Paul describes here that makes up the armor of God is truth, righteousness, a readiness with the gospel, faith, salvation, God's word, and prayer. And most of these pieces of spiritual equipment are paired with items of actual armor to help us understand how to use the equipment that God provides to us. Paul began with the belt of truth. Now, effectively, when putting on armor, the, the belt would come last. It's the thing that binds everything together, holds everything together. And it also holds everything up. Let's just be honest about what a belt does. And the belt of truth is what binds these spiritual things together in our lives. And we understand how truth is the foundation of our faith. The truth about Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of all people. Without that truth, the rest of this equipment would not stay in place. It wouldn't be effective. We need truth to, to bind everything together and hold, hold everything up. A place to, to, to hang our sword. A place that works effectively with all the other pieces combined. The breastplate of righteousness protects our hearts as we seek to live upright, godly lives. Living according to his example draws our hearts to the Lord and protects them from the influence of Satan through the temptations of the world around us. Our feet are fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And when we accept the gospel, that's what makes us ready to be equipped by God and useful in service to his kingdom. But it's interesting to me that Paul would use footwear to represent the gospel. Interesting, but not unexpected, especially when we think in terms of the Great Commission and how we're commissioned as a church to go and make disciples, baptize and teaching them, that when we carry with us the gospel message, we take it to people, and we have to be ready to go and do that. Faith is represented as a shield that blocks and defends attacks. The shield has particular use, more so than just defending us. Generally, it is designed to put out the fires of the darts that are fired at us by the evil one, extinguishing them so that they cannot set every other piece of our armor ablaze, destroying the integrity of our defense. The shield of faith renders those temptations, those attacks from Satan, useless. Salvation is represented by a helmet protecting our head, defending us from the attacks that would most quickly and effectively permanently remove us from service to the Lord. And the Word of God is called the Sword of the Spirit. The only piece of equipment here that's primarily offensive. Now, you can use a sword in defense, deflecting the attacks of another person. But think about how a sword pierces, penetrates. In the book of Hebrews, it's described this way. As the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The word of God, like nothing else, penetrates and works in us. And when we think about what it means to carry with us the gospel of peace, the word of God is the most effective tool, the most penetrating part of our approach to another person that will make a difference in their hearts and in their lives. The final tool, the last bit of equipment in the armor of God is not tied to any figurative example. Paul tells us to pray consistently on all occasions. Pray by the Spirit of God for all of God's people. Prayer is our link to God. The supply line by which we're continually sustained by Him it provides power, comfort, and peace, not only for us, but for the people that we pray for. Now, the armor of God is meant to help us stand firm against the attacks of Satan, to stand our ground. And notice how clearly Paul says this. You are not at war. Your, your conflict is not with flesh and blood. You're not, you're not engaging with other people. 
Your battle is a spiritual battle for the sake of other people. Your battle is against Satan and his desire to tempt you and tear you down, to destroy your life and your church. The battle we fight is a spiritual battle against him. And, and Paul is calling us to take on this armor of God and stand firm, to stand together, united, encouraging one another, holding one another up together. As we choose to fight for people, as we choose to carry the gospel into their lives, as we provide an example for what it means to, to be truly changed by the power of the Spirit in our lives, to be forgiven by the blood of Christ, and to engage wholeheartedly in service to the kingdom. We're called to guard one another and urge one another on in love to continue serving, to continually proclaim the gospel of peace in the world around us. And it's a challenge to live up to, a challenge for us to think about how we've been given all these tools and equipment. We have everything that we need. And what we need to do is to decide to use it for God and for his glory. Now, I understand when, when we think about what it means to serve, our most common reaction is to say, I just don't think I have what it takes. I look at other people who are serving, who are doing a great job. I don't know if I can do the way they do. I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can live up to that. I don't know if I have what it takes. And while that may have been a great excuse for why we haven't served in the past, when we hear these words, about who we are as the church, how we've been equipped, how we've been given tools and resources to use for the kingdom. No longer can we say, I don't have what it takes. Because when we engage together as believers in the body of Christ, when we invest in our relationship with the Lord, he provides everything that we need to fulfill the roles of service that he has for us. The way that he's calling us to serve his kingdom, to serve his church, to serve in the community. He is providing for us the tools and resources. We are fully equipped, thoroughly equipped, the challenge we have to face is to be willing to use what we have for his kingdom and for his glory. And that's the challenge I want to confront you with today. About your place in the kingdom of God. And I want to invite you to grow toward unity and maturity. I want to invite you to use what you have in service to his kingdom. And not let any excuse stand in the way. And discover what God will do in your life. How God will, will unite you with other believers. How you will feel the community and the belonging that is only accomplished when you serve alongside other people. That's the way it works. And the way that God supplies and equips, the way his spirit works in our lives, first comes primarily in the lives of those who have accepted Christ, who are believers. And so I want to invite you, if you've never accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, that you would do that today. And then I want to challenge you, especially those who are already Christians, to take hold of the role and responsibility of service that God has for you. To pick up those tools. To learn how to use them effectively. And to dive in and serve. And the best way that I can encourage you, in the words of Paul, is, is to pray for you on all occasions. Keep on praying for the people of God. Would you join me in prayer? God, thank you for who you've made us to be together as a church. Thank you for the way that you equip us and supply for us. Thank you for, for the calling that you have for each of us to, to answer in terms of service, of, of where you're, you are preparing us to serve and how you're preparing us to serve. God, I pray that you would, would work in us. 
that you would take all the excuses we have away, that you would help us to grow toward maturity, that we together would work toward building up your church, that we would care for your church in that way, recognizing our place, serving alongside the other believers around us, the family of God here as the body of Christ. And Lord, right now I want to pray for the church itself, the people of Parkview, that you would guard us against the attacks of Satan, that you would protect us from temptation, that you would protect us from the destructive nature of his attacks, that you would work through our lives as we submit to you, that you would help us to understand who we can be in you when we wholeheartedly surrender to your will and to your way. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. If you have a decision to make this morning, would you please come forward as we stand and sing?